this morning. I want to welcome you and encourage you to open your Bible as we look at embracing the future together. There's a passage found in 1 Timothy chapter number 6, and uh, I want to look at the scripture now together. It's verse 17, and it says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come, so that, we, so that they may take hold of life that is real. Amen. Today I want us to think about embracing the future together, and uh, today I want us to consider a new perspective for living our life. When we think about the future and what God has called us to, I want us to think about this new perspective that, that the Lord has given us and, uh, uh, with our, our life. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, it changes our whole perspective on everything. And so if uh, you have your Bible, I want us to look together to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, though we are always confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we're confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Knowing then the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope we are completely open to your consciences as well. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that we should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And From now on then, we do not know anyone in purely human way, even if we've known Christ in a purely human way. Yet we no longer know him like that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And look, New things have come. Now everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Working together with Him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. For He says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Look, now is the acceptable time. Look, now is the day of salvation. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for the power of your word. And I pray that today that you speak to us about a new perspective in living and in how things have changed. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And that you've given us a new life, a new purpose and meaning in our life. Father, help us to live. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever gone on a trip and then you were so glad when you got home? I mean, you were just thrilled to be, glad, be at home. I think yesterday we were all moved, weren't we, when we saw Pastor Brunson released from captivity, imprisoned in Turkey, accused of insurrection in that country and, and released and granted home. It was a beautiful thing when he saw an American flag and held it and he kissed it. And, and when he met with the president and he prayed for him and his wife and he was so glad to be at home. Layers politics aside, it was certainly great to hear that story of a man who was home. Two years separated for his own family because he'd been preaching in the Word of God. How about you? Is there a time that you were just so glad to be home? I remember I was just a boy. I, I really a teenager. I was uh, just finished high school, and I had an opportunity to go for a part of the summer to Jamaica on a mission trip. Now, I grew up in the southern part of Illinois, and, and uh, I, most of my family is all from the same county in Franklin County, Illinois. I'd, we didn't travel much when I was a kid. I'd never seen the ocean before. I'd never been on a plane ever before in my life, and I'd never been that too far away from home, really. And so I remember coming to St. Louis and getting on an airplane and flying TWA, and we flew to uh, Jamaica, and so on a mission trip. And when we landed in Kingston, Jamaica, and uh, the first the flight was bumpy, and we went through a thunderstorm, and, and I thought, Lord, if you get me here, I'll swim home. And so uh, we arrived, and, and uh, then we ended up going to different places, and ended up that I was placed in a village, a town, a, not a small town, a pretty good sizable town, right in the heart of the country, and it was uh, Spanish Town, Jamaica. I lived with a woman named Mrs. Green, and uh, she tried to take good care of us. I had a roommate. His name was Buddy Howard, and, and Buddy was, uh, he was a rounder, so to speak, but God had recently saved him, and there were still a lot of rough spots left. And so uh, we, we stayed in the same room together. It was hot and humid and sweltering and and rainforest kind of conditions. And, uh, and so I remember sleeping. There was, we were in one room. It had two small beds, and, 
and there was a, 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 a nightstand that was there, and, and uh, we, we had one string light bulb. They had electricity in the house, of course, and, and uh, Mrs. Green gave us, she tried to take care of us in every way, but I, we noticed that when we went into the room that uh, we were there for a while, there were these large lizards crawling on the walls, and I said, uh, do you think they're supposed to be here? Buddy said, I don't know if they're supposed to be here. I'm going to kill them. And so uh, he was on the bed. He was swatting, trying to kill the lizards. She came into the room. She said, what do you do? Don't kill my lizards. They eat my mosquitoes. So Buddy said, I guess we're sleeping with the lizards. <laughs> the Lord used us. I was only 18 years old. We were preaching in churches, sharing testimonies. Many people came to Christ. While I was there, I got sick as a dog and, and just got dysentery. I was so sick. I mean, I couldn't hold my head up. I, I, I was sick at both ends, if you know what I mean. It was not good. I was desperately sick. They had to take me to a clinic. I, I went there, and I, I had to get some treatment, and they gave me some drugs. I thought I was going to die. Then I hoped I'd die, and, and so I, uh, finally I got better. And yet God moved in a powerful way. And after being there for some time, several weeks, we had the opportunity to come back home. And when I got home, I'll never forget, it was the first time I'd ever seen the ocean, ever been out of the country, ever been a, really away from home for any extended time. And I remember when I went through passport control and they said, Mr. Lewis, welcome home. That felt really good to me. And you know, when I went home, I had a new perspective. My mom looked more pleasant. My dad looked happier. My bed looked softer. The food tasted better. I had a new perspective on life because I'd seen the world from a different perspective. Let me tell you, when you come to know Jesus Christ and he saves you, it gives you a brand new perspective on everything in your life. Amen? Today, I want us to look at this long passage of Scripture and think about this new perspective, and first of all, it gives us new perspective on what is permanent and what's not permanent. Notice in verse number six, it says, <clears throat> therefore, though we're always confident, look at it, and know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. You know what? We have a new perspective because when we live at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. Now look back, back with me to chapter 5, the first verse. For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling, and so your translation may say our tent, and that's exactly what it is, our tabernacle, this temporary dwelling is laid aside or destroyed or folded up. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Since we're, we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Verse 4. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, this temporary dwelling, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality might be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Can I tell you, folks, 
Paul, he says, listen, when you're here at home in this body, you're living in a temporary, impermanent dwelling. It's like a tent. But God has prepared for you a place not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens. And that will be our permanent dwelling with God. And it won't be a temporary dwelling. It will be an eternal dwelling that God has prepared for all of us. And while we're in this body, we long and we groan and we moan and we look forward to being in that place that God has prepared for us. Folks, can I tell you something? This is not as good as it gets right here in this world. And God has a more permanent place for you. And it is it, right now we're living in an earthly tent. Your body that you live in right now is just a tent. When I was a boy, we used to go tent camping. My parents thought it was fun. We owned a tent. It always was kind of a disaster, but it was supposed to be fun. It would inevitably pour down rain while we were tent camping. And the tent always seemed to leak right over my sleeping bag. Does anybody else, can you understand what I'm talking about? I remember one year, we didn't have money to go on vacation, so I told Christy, this is what we're doing for vacation. We're going down to Wren Lake, and we're going to camp with the kids. She still reminds me of that wonderful decision that I made. <laughs> that is her, not her idea of fun. We live in a temporary dwelling here. You can sometimes begin to think, oh, I'm living in this is what life is all about. Ask the folks in the panhandle of Florida today about temporary dwellings. Hurricane Michael blew through this week. And a place like Mexico Beach is absolutely, completely wiped out in just a few minutes. Not a building standing. Over 18 dead and hundreds missing and unaccounted for. And one day you own beachfront property. One day you have boats. One day it seems like your life is good. And then one day, moments later, it's all gone. In this house, he says, we groan, we long for a home in heaven. We want to move from the earthly to the heavenly. And this world is not as good as it gets. In this world, it's not what life is all about. It's been many years ago now, but I went and visited a man who was dying from cancer. He was a young man, he has small Two small children, married, had a good job, owned a house, had a big pole barn. He had all kinds of tools and equipment, loved to work with his hands, had all kinds of woodworking equipment. When I went to visit him in the hospital in St. Louis, there was a yellow pad of paper sitting next to his bed, and there was all this stuff that was written on it. I said, Gary, what, what is all of this? He said, I've just been making a list of all the stuff I can think about that I own. And I said, 
why are you doing that? He said, well, Brother Tim, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. And unless there's a miracle, I know that I don't have long here. But I just made him making a list of everything I own. And he says, you know, the weird thing is, a few months ago, all that stuff seemed so important to me. And it means nothing to me now. It changes your perspective, doesn't it? It's all temporary. The truth of the matter is, we don't take any of this stuff with us. Probably the richest man who ever lived in the United States of America was a man named John D. Rockefeller. He became an oil baron, oil magnet. He was incredibly wealthy. He, by today's standards, probably worth over $25 billion. He made more money than any man. He was ruthless in his business dealings with others. He was despised and hated by many, yet he gave away, he was, gave away more money than probably any man who ever lived. A couple of guys, after they read about his death, said, you know, I wonder how much money old John D. left when he died. The other guy said, all of it. We don't take any of it with us, amen? Jesus said, Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life. Life is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. You don't take it with you. When you die, our hope is found in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Amen? Amen. And so, there's the new perspective, not only about what's permanent, but a new perspective on what should be priority in our life. In verses 8 to 10, look with me. It says, and we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what He's done in His body, whether good or worthless. What about the priority of your life? He says, my driving desire is to be at home with the Lord. And he says, this is the desire of my life. He says, everything, he's, he's, he, he, he says, everything is from the Lord. In verse number 8, he says, I'm, we're confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Folks, whenever you and I die and leave this world, we are going to be at home with the Lord. With Him forever and ever and ever. To be at home with the Lord. Can you imagine what that would be like to be at home with the Lord? Listen to what it says. To be where? At where? Home. With whom? The Lord. Did you know when you die and leave this world, you go to be home with the Lord? We grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. 
We're at home with the Lord. We'll be with him forever and ever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like when you are home with the Lord? What that will be like? What's it going to be like for our loved ones? How many of y'all have somebody that's passed on and gone on to be with the Lord? Raise your hand if you do. Do you miss them? Yes. Are they with the Lord? If they're believers in Christ, they're with Him. What would that be like? What would it be like to be at home with the Lord? Amen. It'd be glorious. It'd be boggle our mind. This song that Mercy Me sings, and it's moved so many people. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or on my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah, or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes, when I find myself standing in the sun. I can only imagine when all I would do is forever, forever, Worship you. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Can you imagine what it would be like to see your loved ones again? Can you imagine what it's like the first time you would see Jesus face to face? What that would be like for you. Can you imagine what it would like to be a place where there's no more sorrow ever again? No more funerals ever to attend. No more death. No more Dental appointments ever in your life. No more doctor's appointments. No more disease. No more cancer. No more dementia. No more diabetes. No more divorce. No more hate. No more politics. No more war. No no more sin. No more betrayal. No more evil. No more glasses. Praise God. No more canes or walkers or wheelchairs or surgery. No more sin. No more gossip. No more misunderstanding. No more hurt feelings. Justice and glory and perfection and glory. I can only imagine when the creation is in harmony with the Creator. Glorious. Wow. It changes your whole priority of life. So he says, my desire is to please him. My aim, verse number nine. My aim then is whether at home or away to make my our aim to be pleasing to him. That my life might please the Lord. And when I'm thinking about Jesus coming, I want to please him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we're children of God, and it's not yet appeared as what we will be, but we know when He appears, we'll be like Him, because we'll see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him does what? Purifies Himself as He is pure. So how do I want to please the Lord? 
in my life. First, I want to live a righteous life, not sinfully, not selfishly, not in rebellion against God, but in obedience to him. Secondly, I want to live on mission with him. If I want to please him, then I need to be doing the father's business when he comes again. Doing what he called me to do. Winning people to Christ, testifying to God's grace, seeing people baptized and connected with Christ and making disciples who make disciples. This is the life that is pleasing to God. I talked to a pastor this week from Texas, a friend of mine, his name's Brandon. His two girls are softball players, collegiate level softball players. They were both in a tragic car wreck two years ago. Both of them nearly died. The one daughter who had a tremendous brain injury, and they wondered if she would live for months. She was in a coma. She is now playing collegiate softball. He said, last Sunday, men, he says, my, she still has some physical ailments, but still she's not 100%. But he said she's giving testimony to the grace of God. Last Sunday, three of her collegiate softball players had prayed to receive Christ, and she was there while they were being baptized. <laughs> he said, my cup runs over with joy. Amen. Verse number 10, notice it says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll be repaid for what he's done in your body, whether good or bad. We will, we will be rewarded for how we've lived this life, or there will be some grieving about how we've lived this life. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us will give an account of our life before God. Are you still with me? We, everyone, will stand before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and every one of us will give an account of how we've lived our life before God. What will your life demonstrate? That's my question. I believe that in a moment, in a moment of time, before God, the Lord Jesus, all of my life will be reviewed. All of my words, all of my attitude, all of my envy, all of my lust, all of my jealousy, all of my acts of mercy, all of my acts of kindness, all of the ways I've been gracious and the ways I've been faithful. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. And the things that have hidden will be revealed. Now let me just make it clear. You are not justified by your works. But you are accountable for your life. Your life is a stewardship. What is the goal of your life? And how are you living your life? Are you living it for the glory of the Lord Jesus? It gives you a new perspective. Man, when you've been saved, you've been born again, 
when you know that Jesus died for you, do you know Jesus rose again for you? You know that the Holy Spirit's come to live in your life? You know that you're now a son and daughter of God? You know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? You know that you're now the child of God? It changes your perspective. It changes your priority. It changes your passion. You want to live for the one who died for you. Amen? Exactly right. So it gives you a new perspective on the passion of your life. Verse number 11, notice it says, Therefore, because we know the fear, the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God, and I hope that we're completely open to your conscience as, consciences as well. For we're not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply to those who take pride, how? In outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, some people say we're crazy. It's for God. If we have a sound mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. That's the passion of our life. Since we've reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he who died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. What is the passion of Paul's life? The passion is to pursue, persuade others. He says a lot of people live their lives for outward things, pride about things they own, positions they hold, power they wield, influence over others, whether they have esteem or not or held in esteem. But God looks at the heart of every man. And Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We're trying to turn men from sin to God. God has given us a ministry, and this is our hope, and this is our calling, is to do what God has called us to do. This is the passion that drives us in our life. In the book of Ezekiel, God said to the prophet, he said, I've set you as a watchman on the wall. Chapter 33. And he said, this is what you're to do. You were to be a watchman on the wall, and if you see the enemy coming with a sword, you are to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm that the enemy is approaching. And if the enemy comes and destruction happens, understand that that, that falls on those who's got, uh, uh, who judgment comes to. But if you're put on that wall, and you see the enemy coming, and you refuse to blow the horn, And the enemy comes and brings destruction and wrath. Men and women die because of their iniquity, but their blood is on you. Because you were called to warn them, and you didn't warn them. We have a message, and that message is to turn from sin and turn to God. And Ezekiel 33 says, As I live, declares the Lord of hosts, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn ye, turn ye. Why will you die, O house of Israel? God has called us to passionately stand against the stream of this world that's headed toward a godless path to hell and stand and speak in loving truth. Turn, turn. The way you're leading is to death, but here is life. It's in Jesus Christ. This was the passion of Paul's life. If we're going to embrace the future as a church, 
then it's a, a recommitment as a church to, to the main thing that God has called us to, to walk in obedience before holy God, to worship Him in spirit and truth, and be salt and light in this world, persuading men and women to turn from sin and trust in Christ. This is what He's called us to do. There's no plan B. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. God has saved you to this. He saved me to this. Our church, we would be watchmen on the wall. I'm praying, thinking about this next year in 2019. Lord's placed on my heart a desire for us to mark out a portion of our part of the Metro East and say, God, we claim this area of lostness and we're claiming it with the gospel of Jesus. And I want us to develop a plan where we are praying over every house and by every, by individual name for every person in our region by name. And that they will be prayed over by name, that we'll walk the streets and pray over them by name, and that we'll think of ways that we can serve them with the love of Christ and we can share the gospel of Christ and ask God to bring revival in our area of this part of Metro East. And I'm asking you to join me and let's become mighty warriors in our region, claiming people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen, only God can do the saving. Only God does the awakening. Only God does the calling. I get it. I believe it. But God has called us to be watchmen and to be telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go and do it. Amen? I want to claim that. Right perspective on what's the passion of your life. To live for the one who died for you, not live for ourselves. It's not about my life. Maturity in Christ is not how I'm connected, but how I'm connecting others. Maturity in Christ isn't about how much I'm being loved, it's how much I'm loving others. Maturity in Christ is not how I'm pleased, but how I'm pleasing Christ. Amen. A new perspective on our purpose. Verse 18 and 19, look, everything's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of what? Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to whom? To us. This is our purpose. He reconciled us to himself. He saved us. He regenerated us. He made us his children. He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That means we're serving, we're ministering people toward reconciliation. How did Jesus... 
minister reconciliation for us. He died for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were unlovely. He invested in us while we were bankrupt. He redeemed us when we had no ability in ourselves. He didn't count our trespasses against us. He didn't come to judge us, but to redeem us. And if we're going to serve people with a ministry of reconciliation, that means God has not called us to judge people. God has not called us to condemn people. He's called us to love people to Jesus. What if this church doesn't care? What if this church doesn't care? Oh, would you all please stay with me? Don't turn me out. Listen. What would happen if this church, Bethel Church, what if we decided we don't care what you've ever done in your life, we're going to love you? What if we don't care how you've lived? We don't care what language you speak. We don't care how many times you've been in prison. We don't care about sexual orientation. We don't care about divorces. We don't care about the lies that you told. We don't care about those things. That's between you and God. But we do care about your soul. And we do want to preach Christ to you. And we do want to love you to Jesus. And what if we invited anybody? It doesn't matter how many tattoos they have. It doesn't matter how messed up their life is. It doesn't matter about their past. Because such were some of you, but you were washed. And here's what Jesus does. There is nobody that is so lost that they can't be saved. And when we start looking at people and judging people and, and, and condemning people, we'll never make a difference in this world. But what if we say, I don't care. That's between you and God. But I love you. And Jesus loves you. And Christ can change your life. And if you turn from sin and trust in Him, your sins can be washed away. You can be born again. And God can change your life. Inside out. This is what He's called us to do. We don't need more judgmentalism. We need the love of Christ. In his people. And he's given us the message of reconciliation. What is that message? It's the gospel. The gospel is that God owns us all. He created us all. The gospel is that all of us, every one of us have sinned and cannot earn a right relationship with God. And the gospel is that God alone is holy. And we are sinful. And the gospel is that sin has separated us from a holy God and we were guilty and messed up and no ability to save ourselves. And the gospel is that we were on our way to hell separated from God. But the gospel is that God so loved us that He sent His Son, Jesus, who fulfilled the law of God and died in our place. And the gospel is that Jesus paid for all my sins and yours. And the gospel is that Jesus rose again and conquered death and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ has given us of His Spirit, written our name in heaven, and the gospel is that He is coming again. And we get to preach that. And isn't that more attractive? 
than condemnation. And isn't it more powerful? Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It gives us a new perspective on how we see people. On how we see people. Verse number 20. It says, For therefore we are, what? Ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with Him. We also appeal to you. Don't receive God's grace in vain. For he says, I heard you in an acceptable time. I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? This is the interactive part. What? Thank you, Scott. An ambassador speaks for another, represents another. So if the ambassador, we are ambassadors for whom? Christ, where? In this world. So as his ambassadors, what's our message? Mr. Ambassador, what is your message today? God loves you. What's the message? Christ what? Died for you. What is our message? Hmm? He's coming back. What is our message? He cares for you. Christ died for you if you'll repent of sin. He can cleanse you and forgive you. And He loves you. This is the message. There's hope beyond this world. Woo! There's hope. This is our message. The message is not politics. The message is not cultural issues. The message is not scorekeeping. The message is the love of God. Let's be as ambassadors. Amen? Amen. <laughs> In this good word? Amen. I'm out of time, so we have to do takeaways real quick. Number one, say them with me out loud. Or oh, you can't. All right, let's do it together. This world. Number two, the driving desire of my life is to what? That should be my, that my aim is to please him. Number three, my life is a what? Stewardship from God, and I will give an account to him. So those, let's back up one slide, please. There, great. Some of you are filling in the blanks, and you're just dying because we're going too fast. Permanent home, please God, stewardship account. Number four, 
The love of Christ is the driving force in my life. He compels me. The love of Christ constrains me, holds me, compels me, moves me. Paul said, if I'm out of my mind, I'm out of my mind for Jesus. Because I'm moved by him. Number five. When I love Jesus, I see people from his perspective. His perspective. Next slide, please. God has given us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Today is the day of salvation, so live in the present. How? As Christ's ambassadors. This is the way we will embrace the future as a church. Amen. Father, thank you. For your word, it's powerful and it's true and relevant. It speaks to us today. I pray that you have your way in our hearts and our lives in this moment. If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today... They would turn from sin and trust in him. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. You come.